Good morning. We'll be reading from Ephesians, and if you're in your pew Bibles, it's on page 976. Starting in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Thanks, Melody. Good morning. It's good to see you, church. Good to be with you. Good morning. So good to be with you. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into our passage this morning. We're going to be, we're going to be wrapping up um, this, this big, long, mega-sentence that we've been in, um, in Ephesians. So let me pray. Father, if you don't meet with us, then all of this is in vain. So, Spirit of God, would you meet with us? Would you use the Word of God to show us the beauty of the Son of God, our hope and our treasure? Jesus, be big now and be glorified, we pray. Amen. Kathleen Nelson Colley was the poorest millionaire the little town of Delray Beach, Florida, had ever known. Uh, if you had lived in Delray Beach in the 70s, you would have known who Kathleen was. You just would have known her by a different name, Garbage Mary. You heard me right, Garbage Mary. I kid you not. That was, that was her name around town, and you could probably guess why. You see, Kathleen was, she had this, this really strange and dirty habit of rifling and rummaging through other people's garbage. Her, her tiny car was filled with garbage, so was her tiny little apartment. One man's trash is another man's treasure, right? Kathleen embodied this mantra, poor, filthy, unsanitary, unkept, unstable, unsafe. Kathleen was all of these things. Wealthy wouldn't have made the list, not even close. Except, here's the thing about Kathleen. She was secretly, insanely wealthy. Nobody knew this, obviously. You, you wouldn't have known this by looking at Kathleen. Well, one day, almost, almost by accident, Kathleen's secret was discovered. And nobody really would look at her the same after that. Long story short, Kathleen was picked up at a nearby mall, placed in this local psychiatric institution, and, and in an attempt to sort of identify who she was, detectives went to her apartment uh, to, to sort of sift through her belongings. Um, they, they were looking for a name. That's it. But as they were looking for a name, they made this discovery, and it absolutely stuns them, leaves them speechless, scattered and, and sort of buried under mounds and mounds of stuff, these detectives begin to unearth these bank statements and stock securities, oil drill rights, and, and land holdings, all in her name. And you can imagine that moment, right, when all the pieces begin to fit together. Garbage Mary is actually millionaire Mary. What? Kathleen Colley isn't poor at all. 
She's the heir of this huge inheritance, and it's worth millions. Now, what if that were you? What if today you found out that you were the heir of an incre- this incredible, excuse me, incredible inheritance like that, unmatched wealth, all yours, full access to it right now? Life wouldn't look the same, would it? Well, what if I told you this is you? That you, Christian, are the heir of an incredible inheritance, unmatched, unrivaled wealth, every bit of it yours right now and for all your days. Well, life wouldn't look the same, would it? That's what Paul has been gushing about since uh, all the way back in verse 3. And it's what he brings into sharp focus in our passage for this morning. Verse 11 begins with this, these astounding words. Listen to him again. Let, let him just settle into your bones. He says, in Jesus, we have obtained, we have been given an inheritance. For nearly 202 words, starting back in verse 3, all the way up to verse 14, strung together in this monstrous mega sentence. Paul has just been gushing over and over of the beauty and goodness and glory of the triune God. He's so caught up in all of God's jaw-dropping, mind-blowing grace that he can't even stop to throw in a few commas and periods. As Paul brings this beautifully crafted sentence to a close, what's the final thing that he wants us to get? What's the final thing that he wants to impress on us? I think it's this, and it's our big idea for this morning. Christian, you are wondrously wealthy in Jesus. Christian, you are wondrously wealthy in Jesus. We're wealthy, church. And this reality, it it touches and it changes everything about our lives. Our wealth in Jesus changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we relate to God and how we relate to to the world around us. It changes how we see and relate to one another. It changes how we uh, relate as parents to our kids, how we relate to one one another as spouses. It changes how we walk through suffering in this life or how we work and play. Being wealthy in Jesus changes everything about everything. It's one thing, you know, to know. It's one thing to know that you're wealthy in Jesus. It's another thing. Like Kathleen, think about Kathleen. She, she knew that she was wealthy, but had, it had zero impact on her life. It's one thing to know. It's another thing to live like you're wealthy in Jesus. Paul wants us to leave changed by this profound and glorious truth that we are wondrously wealthy in Jesus. Now, if you're here today... And you wouldn't consider yourself a believer, someone who who loves and um, follows Jesus. Here's the crazy thing. The wealth that we're going to talk about here in a bit, you can get in on this wealth too. You don't need to clean yourself up, pull your act together somehow, somehow make yourself presentable to God to get in on this crazy wealth. You don't need to ask the right questions. You don't need to come this morning asking the right questions. You don't need to have the right answers. You don't need any of this. All you need is your need. That's it. The Bible says it like this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. 
All you need is your need. Come empty-handed, leave wealthy. That's what you get when you get Jesus. Get this, you could come, you could leave this morning wealthier than when you came. I'm not talking about your bank account. I'm not promising your bank account is going to change. It's a better kind of wealth. You can leave here. You could go home more satisfied than you've ever been in your entire life. Do you want this? Do you want to leave this place wealthier than when you came, more satisfied than you've ever been in your entire life? I want this for you. And if, if you want this for you, let me encourage you to keep listening. Keep listening. We're going we're gonna to talk more about how you can get in on this wealth too. All right, so Paul, Paul wants us to see that we're wondrously wealthy in Jesus. And to get at what Paul means here, we're going to be asking four questions this morning. They're up on the screen. What is this wealth that we have in Jesus? How did we become so wealthy in Jesus? How do we know we're never going to lose this wealth in Jesus? And then why have we been made so wealthy in Jesus? So first, what exactly is this wealth? Paul says in verse 11 that we have obtained, we've been given this inheritance. So we've been given this unmatched, unrivaled wealth in Jesus. But what is it? Well, for Paul, it's, it's all of that glorious and deep and beautiful, all the glorious and deep and beautiful things that we've been um, that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. That we've been blessed in Christ, verse three. That we've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, or in verse four, that we've been chosen by God before the foundation of the world, or verse five, that we've been adopted into His family through Jesus, or, or that verse six, we've been graced by God in the beloved. He says it again, verse 8, that we've been lavishly graced by God. Or verse 7, that we've been redeemed through Jesus. Blessed, chosen, adopted, graced, redeemed. I mean, do you see? Do you see how good we get it when we get Jesus? When you had no way, when we had no way of blessing God, God blessed you in Jesus. When you had no way of choosing God, God chose you and made you his in Jesus. When you had no way of getting into God's family, God brought you in to his family in Jesus, through Jesus. When you had nothing lovely to give God, God lavished his grace on you in Jesus. When you had no way of rescuing yourself from sin and death, God rescued you through Jesus. We get it so good when we get Jesus. Amen? I love this man. Do you love this man? There's so much to love about this man. When you get Jesus, when you got Jesus, you got wealthy, unmatched, unrivaled wealth, every bit of it ours. Right now and for all our days, that's what we get when we get this man. But how did we get in on this crazy good gift in the first place? And if you're, if, if you're not a Christian this morning, how can you get in on this too? Here's the thing, here's the thing about inheritances. If, if you're the inheritor, right, usually you have no say 
um, in, in what you inherit. You, you just inherit it, right? You get this massive privilege, this incredible gift that you did absolutely nothing to earn, right? Think back to Kathleen. Kathleen didn't live a life worthy of that wealth. She didn't deserve it. She did, she did absolutely nothing to earn it, but those millions were no less hers. Unmatched wealth, entitled to every bit of it, free to enjoy all the privileges that, that came with it, all because someone else decided that she would be the one to inherit it. That's the first thing that Paul wants us to see about this, this stunning inheritance that we have in Jesus. We get this massive privilege this incredible gift that we, that we didn't deserve, that we did nothing to earn, all because someone decided that we would be the ones that would inherit it. You see that in verse 11? We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Paul is echoing something here. Uh, that he's already said back in verse 4, that he, God, chose us in him, that's Christ, before the foundation of the world. He says, in love, he predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of his will. So, so that's the first thing that Paul wants us to see here. And, and I don't think he just wants us to see it. I think he wants us to feel it, to be moved by this, to be in awe of the giver of this incredible gift. Here's, here's the wild good news of the gospel. You and I need to, to preach this. We need to hear this from ourselves and one another. We need to preach this to ourselves every day. You see, we wanted nothing to do with God, but God set his love on us and made us wealthy in Jesus anyway. We had nothing to give God, but God lavished his grace on us, and he made us wealthy in Jesus. Anyway, we were orphans, but God reached out, and he brought us into his family. He gave us a seat at his table, and he made us wealthy in Jesus. Anyway, we were, we were enemies of God, but God redeemed us, and he called us friends. He calls you friend, and he made you wealthy in Jesus. Anyway, that is the incredibly humbling good news of the gospel. We get it so good when we get Jesus, don't we? Listen, Christian, you are wealthy in Jesus. You are wealthy in Jesus. And you didn't deserve this massive privilege, this incredible gift. You didn't earn it. You couldn't have earned it even if you tried. You're, you're wealthy in Jesus because God said before the beginning of time, I'm going to make that one wealthy. That one's going to get my entire inheritance, every bit of it, yours. It's hard to wrap our heads around something like that. But I hope, I hope your heart is stirred by this. Well, there's another thing that Paul wants us to see. He clearly wants us to see that, that we get in on this wealth by doing something too. I want to be clear here that, that our salvation begins with God. By the way, Christianity is the only religion that makes this claim. Every other religion, every other philosophy out there in this world, uh, it, it says that it begins with what, what you need to do for God. 
But Christianity begins with what has been done for you by God. So our salvation begins with God and what he has done for us, but salvation isn't ours unless we respond to God and his grace. Paul says that we became wealthy in Jesus when, verse 13, look with me at verse 13. He says, when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in Jesus. When we heard the word of truth, the gospel, and believed in Jesus. Look, if you, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not wealthy in him yet, you need to be. You need Jesus. I need him too. Everyone in this room, we all need Jesus. And here's how you can get in on this thing. You can embrace Jesus today. All this wealth that we've been talking about this morning, it can be yours. And here's how. Paul says, you just need to hear the word of truth, the gospel, and believe. You need to hear it, and you need to believe it. That's it. You need to hear the gospel. And so a question, what is the gospel? What's the gospel that we've been singing about and talking about all morning? Well, the gospel is good news. It's the good news of what God has done for you in Jesus. God made you for himself. He made you so that you would enjoy him uh, in all of life, in the ordinary stuff of life and for all of your days. But you have something that's keeping you from God, and it's called sin. See, you've, you've committed, we have all committed cosmic treason against our creator. And there's nothing that you can do to dig yourself out of this cosmic pit of sin and death. There's nothing that you can do to earn God's favor. You are totally and completely helpless. Something has to change. And here's the good news. The good news is that something has changed, but it came at a really steep, violent bloody cost. It had to. There was no other way. See, the Bible says, says this, that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. We have this massive debt that we owe, and, and there's, there's nothing that we could do to pay it off. Well, that's when Jesus steps in. That's when Jesus steps into the story. Jesus came, and he lived the life that you could never live, and he died the death that you and I deserve to die. Jesus took on himself every single awful debt that you owe, and he paid every last bit of it when he died on the cross for you. And he didn't just stop there. He rose from the dead. Jesus died, but he also rose, declaring loudly that there is nothing left to owe. There's nothing left to, oh, it's finished. The work is done. Here's how you can get in on this wealth that we have been talking about. Run hard into the tender, loving embrace of your gracious Redeemer. Run hard. Believe in Jesus. Embrace him. Savor him. Love him. Trust in him. You need this man. You need this man.
Embrace him as your savior and king. And just sit back and watch in amazement as God makes you more wealthy and more satisfied than you have, you've ever thought possible. Okay, so when you get Jesus... When you embrace him by faith as your savior, as your king, as your treasure, when you become one with this man, you get wealthy. We get it so good when we get Jesus, don't we? But, and this is our third question that we need to ask Paul. How do we know, how do you know, like really know that we're never going to lose our wealth in Jesus? How do we know this? Last week... I did a, a quick Google search, typed in three little words, wills, like last wills and testaments, wills gone bad. Um, maybe when you go home, type those in, some really crazy stuff comes up. People do some really crazy messed up things when it comes to their inheritances. One, um, I was reading of uh, one wealthy mom who disinherited her own daughter wrote her out of the will. One day she was in, the next day she's out. Rather than leaving her millions to her own flesh and blood, she leaves every last cent to, wait for it, her dogs. Her dogs. I know some of us are dog lovers in here, but I hope, I hope you would never leave your inheritance, if you have an inheritance, to your dogs and not your children. Um, maybe we think, you know, there, there must have been a good reason for it. Nope. She just didn't like the guy that her daughter uh, ended up marrying. That's it. Crazy, right? We live in a world where parents write their own kids out of their wills. Is God like this? I mean, will God ever write you out of his will? Sometimes we live like we believe this is true. But we really shouldn't. Paul wants us to know and believe with unswerving confidence that we will never lose our wealth in Jesus, not ever. Once wealthy in Jesus, always wealthy in Jesus. Once wealthy in Jesus, always wealthy in Jesus. And there's two, reason that Paul, two reasons that Paul gives us for why this is true. I just let these settle, settle into your heart and just sturdy up your faith. The first reason is this. God gave you his spirit. Do you see that there in verses 13 and 14? Paul says, in him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance. How can you be sure that you will never lose your wealth in Jesus? Or, or maybe we could ask the question like this. Why will you wake up tomorrow a Christian? Why will you wake up tomorrow a Christian? Paul, Paul's answer is so beautiful and it's good news for us. You have God's spirit in you. Now, I don't know what, what comes to mind when, when you hear this. Maybe, maybe you're new to Christianity, and it all sounds kind of uh, weird and spooky. I get that. But it's what Jesus said when, that would happen when he left this earth to go be with his Father in heaven. Um, John 14, it's up on the screen. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. You know him. For he dwells with you and, is, and will be in you. You know him, Jesus says. He dwells with you. He's in you forever. And as one author puts it, 
The Holy Spirit can never be served in eviction notice. Not ever. You have the Spirit, Christian. This is one of God's greatest gifts to you. He's, he's the reason why any of us will wake up a Christian tomorrow. Why? Because God's Spirit acts as two things for us. He's our seal and he's our guarantee. Let's just look at those real quick. Paul says the Spirit is our seal. Do you see that there in verse 13? He says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That, that word seal, it's, it's really jam-packed with meaning. We don't have time to unpack it all, but this The point here is that God wants us to feel safe and secure in his love and in his power. The Spirit is also, Paul says, our guarantee. Look with me at verse 14. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance. The Spirit is like the engagement ring that I gave my wife, Kate, all those years ago. Uh, It was a promise, a, a foretaste Uh, a better thing is coming, right? Because we have the Spirit in us, we get a taste of what's coming now. But we don't get to enjoy everything that we have in Jesus to the fullest yet. The better thing is coming. A day when when we're going to enjoy our wealth in Jesus to the max, to the fullest. The Spirit is our guarantee that that day is coming. So, So you can know you can really know with unswerving confidence that you're never going to lose your wealth in Jesus because God gave you his spirit. But there is another reason that Paul gives us, and we see it there at the end of verse 14. The NIV, I think, captures it really well, and so I put it up on the screen for us, starting in verse 13. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those, listen to this, who are God's possession. God's possession. My, my wife, Kate, is an unashamed chapstickaholic. Chapstickaholic. She, she loves, she loves chapstick. She's addicted to the stuff. Um, she will go nowhere without a stick of strawberry, that's her all-time favorite, or runner-up, cherry, chapstick in her purse. Um, for as long as, I, as our girls have, uh, we have two girls, Ava, Jane, we, uh, for as long as they can say words, uh, they've called Kate's chapstick Mama's Lip Lip. Uh, we're never going to change that one, Mama's Lip Lip. Mama's Lip Lip is a prized possession in our house. They feel wealthy when they get to wear Mama's Lip Lip and carry it around the house with them. The Bible has the audacity to say, here's God, right? He he owns everything, all the stars, all the planets, all the galaxies, all the worlds, and all the things in them, and then he's got all of that, but when he looks at you, he says, that's my inheritance, This is my best thing, my most prized, most treasured possession. When he looks at you, he feels wealthy, Christian. You're more valuable to him than all the stars, all the planets, all the galaxies, everything that he owns put together. You are more valuable to God than that. 
Mama's lip lip is a prized possession to my girls. And so when they, when they get their hands on Mama's lip lip, they keep it safe. They protect it from the destructive, prying fingers of their little brother. That's how God is with you and me. There's nothing that, that the God of the universe didn't do or would do to protect you and rescue you, his most treasured possession. That's how God is with you and me. There's nothing that the God of the universe didn't do or wouldn't do to protect us. And if you need proof of this, just look to the cross. Tim Keller says it best. There's nothing the God of the universe didn't do or would do to protect you and rescue you because it was at the cross where the Father and the Son were willing to lose each other for you. It was at the cross where the Father and the Son were willing to lose each other for you. When God sees you, he smiles and he sees himself as wealthy. He feels wealthy. Let that settle in and take root in your soul. You don't need to live for the approval and acceptance of others. You're already God's greatest possession. You don't need to live your life scrounging for compliments and flattery. You're already God's greatest possession. It doesn't have to be crushing and devastating when others don't notice or recognize you. You're already God's greatest possession. And you don't ever have to wonder if you're less than to God. If somehow you're, you're going to screw up for the last time and lose out on your wealth in Jesus, you are God's greatest possession. He'll never want or do anything but the best for you. And this is all true because of how Paul answers our last question for this morning. Why has God made us so wealthy in Jesus? Why has he given us all of these good things in his son? Here's why. He says it twice, once at the end of verse 12 and then at the end of verse 14. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. God ultimately did everything he did to save you and to make you wealthy in Jesus so that he would get more praise. That's why, that's what Paul's saying here. I know that might sound selfish, maybe unloving, but it's not. Whenever God does something for his own glory, it's always the best thing for us. Whenever God does something for his own glory, it's always the best thing for us. John Piper helps us to see why God's pursuit of God's praise is the most loving thing that God could do for us. He says, you were made wealthy in Jesus for the praise of his glory. God's action in making us wealthy in Jesus is radically God-centered and God-exalting. I know that many hear this and think it is not loving. How can God's seeking to exalt himself be loving? The answer is that the glory of God is what we were made to see and enjoy for all eternity. 
Nothing else will satisfy our souls. Therefore, if God does not exalt himself for us to admire and enjoy, then he is unloving. That is, he does not give us what we need. You and I were made to see and savor the blazing glory of God forever. This is ultimately why God made us wealthy in Jesus, so that we would see and savor his blazing, brilliant glory more and more and more and more forever. We get it so good when we get Jesus. We get it so good when we get Jesus. When we get Jesus, we get to see more and more and more of God's glory Praise the Lord, the psalmist says. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. We get it so good when we get Jesus. How could we not burst with praise while we have our being? Do you love this man? I love this man with all my heart, and I hope you do too. We have it so good when we get this man, when we get this man, amen? We get it so good. Trinity, you are wondrously wealthy in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, what more can we do than to praise you for this incredible gift that you have given us in your son. This incredible gift. While we had no way of blessing you, you blessed us in your son, Jesus. While we had no way of choosing you, you chose us and you made us yours in your son, Jesus. When we had no way of getting into your family, You brought us into your family, and you call us sons and daughters. When we had nothing, nothing lovely or good to give you, you lavished your grace on us. And when we had no way, when we were stuck in the pit, we had no way of rescuing ourselves, you redeemed us through your son, Jesus. We get it so good when we get Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for this good gift that we have. We are wondrously wealthy in him, and we praise you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.